Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. Adventure, a couple of things. Uh, Saturday, October the 29th, it's from about 9.30 till 5 p.m. on that day. And you heard last weekend we had Colby here in the building with us, and he was sharing more information about that. And if you haven't gotten registered for that, there have been several people that are registered, but you can register to bring your son or multiple sons. If you have more than one, you can bring them all along and uh, be a part of that day and register at pureadventure.com. So you want to go to pureadventure.com. You can go to upcoming events, find our event. And if you don't have a son, uh, we would invite you as a man to come serve and volunteer. And you can do that as well online. Same website, pureadventure.com. Get signed up to serve for that event. Colby talked last weekend about the importance of, uh, of, of men being there to serve the other men and their sons. And so it's a powerful thing uh, that, we want to, that we want you to be a part of. Uh, I was made aware this last week of a men's event. This is at Cut Hand Church. Uh, going to be this Saturday. And so if you don't have, um, if, if you don't have a, a wife that you're keeping the kids for so that they can be at the Flourish event, uh, we would invite you to go over there. One thing that I love about, uh, love about our church, I love about you guys because you are the church. Come on, somebody say, I am the church. Uh, is that we have opportunities to be a part of other events and things that other churches and, and organizations are doing as well. And so we love to be able to do that. So I want to let you know about that. And then you heard about uh, Serve Day and the Flourish Ladies. Um, we're not expecting any ladies to be at Serve Day. Um, you're going to be here at the conference. But what I, am, uh, what I am saying is all of the men, we would invite all the men to come out. Now, if you're a lady and you can't go to the conference and you want to be at Serve Day, then that's perfectly fine. But we know that we have a couple of things going on at the same time. But all the men, let's show up and let's serve. It's usually from about 9 to 9.45, maybe 10 o'clock. Uh, we stock shelves and get everything ready and prepared and organized for all the people that the food pantry is going to serve this coming week. Uh, so that's on Saturday as well. And then if you haven't gotten registered for the ladies' event, uh, I know there have been several that have, but if you haven't and you want to be a part of that, we would highly recommend that you be a part of that. Uh, last year was just so impactful in ladies' lives, and we're believing that God's going to do the same thing. This year, um, we are going to have uh, multiple sessions. Jeannie Reed is going to be in here. Some of you have met her. Um, Doug Reed's wife, she's going to be here uh, speaking one of the sessions. It's going to be an incredible time. And we tried to keep the cost as low as we possibly could, so it's just $10, and that includes everything for that day. Um, with the exception of a t-shirt. If you want to get a t-shirt for the event, you can get that on the Church Center app and go ahead and pre pre-order that. Or if you want to get it on the day of the event, uh, the pre-orders would, would guarantee more that your size will be available. But if you want to wait until the day of, that's perfectly fine as well and get your shirt for that. So we're looking forward to everything that God's doing, that he's going to continue to do. Um, last weekend, we began this new series called Firm Foundation. And really, the idea with this series is that we, we have to be intentional about the foundation that we're building our lives on. Because if we're not, how many of you have seen this in your life? When you're not intentional about something, you drift, you slip away, you find yourself thinking about and doing things that, that maybe at one point in your life when you were being intentional, you would have never been a part of or that you wouldn't have operated in that way. We have to, we have to be intentional about things. And man, there is nothing that may be more important than the foundation that you're building your life on. And so we're in this series, and uh, last weekend we talked about the wisest thing to do. We talked about wisdom. We talked about wisdom has a foundation, and it has value, um, and it can be acquired. And so I would highly recommend you go back and listen to that. If you like the audio, you can do the podcast, or you can go back and watch it on the Church Center app, however you want to do that. But if you missed last week, go back and check that out. Uh, but I want to go through our, we have a couple of passages of scripture that are the words of Jesus that are our theme verses for this series. And we're going to look at them again today. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. And maybe you recognize this this morning. When I got up this morning and I, and I clicked on the Bible app, uh, today's verse of the day is Matthew 7, 24. And so uh, I thought that was pretty cool when, when I got up this morning and saw that. But I want to read 24 through 27. This is what it says. Jesus is speaking. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, 
like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And then the other one is in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 46. Jesus says, So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. And we talked about it last week, that our, how our foundation matters so much that some of us are trying to build our lives on sand. And if you take a bucket of water and you dump that bucket of water on concrete, it doesn't change the foundation. The foundation is what the foundation is. But if you take that same bucket of water and you pour it on sand, it will create grooves and holes and different things. It will shift the foundation. And some of us are living our lives and building our lives on things that are shifting. And we need a firm foundation. Uh, we kicked off this series last week and we made two statements and then we're going to jump into the topic for today. We said this, we're all building, but are we building wisely? You're building something. You know, it, it matters what you're building and how you're building and what you're building on. But we're all building something. The question is, are you building wisely? And we said this, that you cannot build strong disciples on sand. That I think there are a lot of us that we have a desire to be a disciple of Jesus. Maybe you're just coming into that to where you're like, man, I've just kind of been going through the motions and playing games with God. And now I know, I realize that it's time for me to actually follow after Jesus. But here's the reality. Strong disciples can't be built on sand. You've got to have a firm foundation that you're building your life on. And so I've titled the message today. I want to talk to you on this topic for the next few minutes. Maintaining integrity. Maintaining integrity. And to get it started, I just want to give you the definition. This is just our worldly, earthly definition of integrity. Look at what it says. It says it's the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness, and I like this part, the state of being whole and undivided. The state of being whole and undivided. Now, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking about all of the characters in the Bible. So like as you read your Bible and all of these stories in the Old Testament and New Testament and, and, and characters in the Bible that have uh, that live their life, you can look at it and be like, wow, that was a man of integrity. That was a woman of integrity. And I want to just mention a few. Some of them just flat out say this was a person of integrity and some of it was by how they lived and how they operated or how they ruled in their time. Look at what the, the Bible says about Job in Job chapter 1 verse 1. It says, there once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. It sounds kind of like a nursery rhyme, doesn't it? He was blameless, and look at what it says, a man of complete integrity. And it tells us what he did. He feared God, and he stayed away from evil. So let's pray. God, we thank you. To, no, like some of us could just walk out today, and we could say, you know what we need to do? We need to fear God and stay away from evil. And it would do us so much good to just live our lives from the place of, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to fear God. We talked about that last week, that it's reverence for God, deep respect for God. I'm going to fear God, and I'm going to stay away from evil. I like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We all know this story, but uh, Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 17, they're talking to the king, and they say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. As I was thinking about these three guys and how they stood up to the king and they were not bowing down, you know, and, and every time I hear this story, I always think of VeggieTales. For those of us that have kids and you've watched VeggieTales, I always think about, you know, Rack, Shack, and Benny. Come on, if you've, if you've watched the VeggieTales and, and so they're, you know, they're going and they won't, they won't bow down, you know, and somebody turns them in like, hey, these guys, you know, like, I, I just love the little action, like, hey, boss, you know, these guys are not, they're not doing what you said to do. And they go before the king, and I was thinking about it in this way that some of us just need to look at the enemy and we need to tell him that even if the worst thing happens in my life, I just want you to know that I'm not going to turn my back on God. And that's what they were doing. They said, even if you, th even you can throw us in the fire, we believe that God is able and we believe that he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know we're not bowing down. We're not turning our back on God. We're not going against our faith and what we believe. I think about, you know, somebody with integrity. I think about Joseph's earthly father or Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, 
Um, and I love that the Bible gives us a little bit of insight, even in the birth story of Jesus, you know, that in Matthew chapter 1, it says this about, about Joseph. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, I'll read that, and I think about, we know how that story turns out. We know that, you know, that, that Joseph has this dream, this vision, and he knows that, hey, what Mary, what, what's happening is actually from God. And so the angel says, hey, go ahead and, and marry Mary because this is actually the son of God that's going to be born. And what you have heard is actually true. So don't be afraid to do this. But I love that the Bible gives us some insight into Joseph's character. It says that he was a righteous man. Even to the point that when he didn't necessarily believe and understand what was going on, he said, you know what, even though I want to break this off because I don't know what's going on right now, I don't want to do it in a disgraceful way. I still want to honor you. And we get some insight into who Joseph was and how he operated. I obviously think about Jesus when you think about uh, you know, a man who lived with integrity. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says this, For God made Christ who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Like Jesus came from heaven to earth and lived a sinless, perfect life so that he could go to the cross and take all the sin of the world on himself. I mean, there's no greater example of somebody who was tested in every way and tempted in every way that we would be and came through and never sinned, lived a perfect, sinless life. And... I love all of these. There's one, though, that I want to touch on before we get into a few areas of our lives that I want to hit on. There's one person in the Bible that every time I read this story, I think to myself, man, what would it look like to be like that? What would it look like for somebody to be able to say that about me? And it's Daniel. And if you look at Daniel, this is chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It says, Darius the Mede divided, or decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the, admin- the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. And i just pause here for a moment. I, I picture this, like Daniel is, is serving with these other guys and leading with these other guys, and Daniel begins to distinguish himself, and so all the other guys get together like, we don't like Daniel. And this is what it reminds me of, okay? If you can picture this for a moment. You remember when you were in school, and you had that one student in the class that always messed up the curve for everybody else. You know what I'm talking about? It was like you studied to the degree that you could make like a 75, but hopeful that you would get that extra 10 points on top of it because the greatest, you know, like maybe they would only make a 92 and so I can get eight points and they'll actually become a B. And then you find out that they made like a 99 and you only get one point and you're mad at them because they studied and prepared and set themselves apart and you only studied to this degree or didn't take it as serious as they did. And it says that Daniel, he... He proved himself more capable than all of the other ones. So what did they do? They got together. And they said, we have to find something that we can get Daniel in trouble over. Right? We've got to find something that we can accuse Daniel of so that that he will stop being the favorite. So that we can all get back to where it's all just, you know, the same and we're all just kind of doing our thing and we don't have to take this as seriously because we're always trying to like measure up to Daniel and well, Daniel's probably going to do it better. and Well, he always gets the attention and well, he always says Daniel and he always just call, you know, like lumps us together. And so they're trying to find something against Daniel, but look at what the Bible tells us. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. And look at how it describes Daniel. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. And I think to myself, what would it look like in my life for people to be able to say, you know what, he was always faithful, he was always responsible, and he was completely trustworthy. I love the way that the Amplified says verse 4, how it words verse 4, it says, Then the other two commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a reason to bring a complaint against Daniel concerning the administration of the kingdom. 
but they could find no reason for an accusation or evidence of corruption because he was faithful, a man of high moral character and personal integrity, and no negligence or corruption of any kind was found in him. Integrity is a foundational thing. Now, I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, have, you ever heard the, have you ever heard of the term, term structural integrity? Structural integrity. It's one thing to talk about personal integrity, and we could talk about that today. But really what I want to talk about for the next few minutes is not necessarily, it, it does involve personal integrity, but it's really structural integrity in your life. And so I, I looked up some things about structural integrity, and I just want to read these to you because I found them intriguing. Structural integrity is an engineering field that helps ensure that either a structure or a structural component is fit for purpose under normal operational conditions and is safe even should conditions exceed that of the original design. In other words, we're going to have structural integrity to the degree that not only is it going to be structurally have structural integrity in normal conditions, but even if the conditions get terrible, it'll still be standing. That we're going to design this in such a way that even if things get worse, it would not affect it. It, says, it goes on to say, there are a lot of factors that affect a building's structural integrity. This includes the materials used, the design, and the structure's intended use. Because of this, large construction projects usually hire engineers specializing in structural integrity. A property can retain its structural integrity if it is assessed and maintained periodically. The structural integrity of a building may depend heavily on its initial design and long-term upkeep. Can I submit to you today that if structural integrity is kept by initial design and long-term upkeep, our initial design as human beings, God created us in His image. There's nothing wrong with your initial design. There's nothing wrong with how God created you. God did not mess up on you when he did not make you like the person sitting next to you. So the initial design was perfect. But maybe, maybe there are some areas in our lives where we have not assessed and maintained and focused on any upkeep. And so we find ourselves questioning where we are Seems like we're on shaky, sandy ground. Not because our initial design was flawed, but because we haven't kept up with what God wants us to keep up with. We haven't applied some things from his word. We haven't been intentional about some things in our lives. And I think about, if, if you think about any building, I think about this building, for instance, there is some maintenance and upkeep that has to be done for everything to function properly in this building. This building, I mean, filters have to be changed, things have to be cleaned, things have to be fixed, occasionally things have to be repaired or even replaced so that things function properly. So I want to talk to you, here's, here's what I feel like I'm on an assignment to do today. And really, you could say this in this entire series. I think I'm on an assignment to remind us of some things. I really think I'm on an assignment last weekend, even about wisdom. You, you knew, you know going in, you need godly wisdom. But you just need to sometimes to be reminded. And today, there are three areas of our lives that what I want to do is I want to remind you of what God's word says. And I want to remind you maybe even of some things that will keep the structural integrity in your life in that area. So that's what I feel like I'm on an assignment to do. So today is not necessarily going to be anything that you haven't heard before. But it might be one or more areas that you have neglected. And that today is time to assess and maintain and get back to some upkeep in this area of your life. So here's point number one. I want to talk to you about the integrity of marriage. Integrity of marriage. And here's the first thing I believe about the integrity of marriage. The structural integrity of marriage is kept by faithfulness. It's kept by faithfulness. Look at this. The writer of Hebrews, he includes this statement in his closing remarks, right? We're winding things down. 
It's the, we would call it a chapter. They didn't have chapters and verse back then. You know, it, was just, it was just one letter. But toward the end of it, this is some of the closing remarks and what it says. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Give honor to marriage. Do you give, do you give honor to your marriage? You remember a few weeks ago we were talking about how, how the Scripture tells us to outdo one another in honor? And we kind of made it funny where it was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to out-honor you. You think you're going to honor me? No, I'm going to out-honor you. And the writer of Hebrews, in these closing remarks, he says, you know what you need to do? You need to give honor to marriage. The marriage relationship, the, the, what marriage represents, you need to give honor to that. And he goes on, he says, and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral, and those who commit adultery. Um, I know, listen, I am well aware, if we were to go around the room today, we have all messed up. If you're a married person in here today, you have messed it up. At some point along the way, you have done something you shouldn't have done, you have said something you shouldn't have said, come on, and, and probably the person that let you know was your spouse, like, mm, you shouldn't have said that, you know what I'm saying? Like, you've, you've probably messed this up in some way or another. But what would it look like? I think there is so much power when we honor our marriage relationship with our words, when we honor it with our eyes, when we honor it with our bodies, when we honor it in every single way. And part of the structural, foundational integrity of your marriage is your commitment to faithfulness. It's your commitment to the vows that you made one year ago, six months ago, 15 years ago, 25 years ago, 37 years ago. It's an ongoing commitment to say, you know what? I'm going to honor this relationship and the structural integrity of this relationship is held together. It is kept by faithfulness. Faithfulness. I love how the Bible lets us know that God is always faithful to us. And so as husbands and wives, we're called by following Jesus' example to remain faithful to the person that we vowed to give all of ourselves to. And so the structural integrity of marriage, it's kept by faithfulness, but I also think that the structural integrity of marriage is kept by mutual submission. Now, at the risk of nobody coming back to church next week, <laughs> I want to read 13 verses, okay? <laughs> and you know these verses. And here's what we know about these verses. For some of you, these are your favorite verses. And for some of you, you're like, if we could just take that out of the Bible. And we could just not have to apply that. And just not have to do that. And not have to, you know, do that. And, here, and here's, here's how it starts out, okay? This is, why, this is why we love it so much. Ephesians 5. And further, submit. To which we would say, okay, you can stop reading right now. Submit. This is what Paul says. He says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Um, we went through, it's, it's been about a year ago, a little over a year ago, we went through the book of Ephesians, and we talked about this a little bit, so I'm not going to like dive, you know, like, really into this, but I want to say just a few things on this, because I believe that the structural integrity of our marriage is kept by mutual submission, mutual submission. Now, here's the reason why I said that some of us love these verses and some of us hate these verses. We love these verses because of what they say about our spouse, <laughs> and we hate these verses because of what they say about me. 
So we love what it says about our spouse, and we hate what it says about us. And a lot of times we focus on what it says about our spouse and not what it says about us. I was listening to a, a, a message a little while back, and uh, the pastor, he wasn't giving any names, but he said there was a counseling situation one time that he went into, and his marriage counseling situation. And he said the husband and wife, they come in and they sit down, you know, and he's like, all right, you know, like, hey, let's, you know, let's start talking. What's going on? What's the problem? And he says, she won't submit. She won't submit. Now, listen, I don't recommend this to anybody in this room, okay? This is not like, this is, you know, she won't submit. And he says, oh, okay, okay, I see what the, I see what the problem is. I see, I see what's going on here. So he says, so where is that? I know, like, you know, where is that in the Bible? And let's read that together. And so he tells me, he's like, this is where it is. And he looks it up, you know, he gets his phone out, he looks it up. And he says, and he, can we put that on the screen, just that one line? And he says, all right, let's read this together. <laughs> for wives this means submit to your husbands as to the lord and he asked the guy he said he said okay all right let's read it together let's read it again for wives this means submit to your husbands as to the lord and he says okay who was that written to and he says it was written to wives he says exactly it's none of your business <laughs> why are you so focused on what it says about your wife and you are neglecting everything that it says about you but this is what we do isn't it this is why we don't, anytime somebody's like, you know what we're going to do today? We're going to talk about Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in about verse 21. There, I was like, oh gosh, here we go again. You know, like, oh, I'm so excited I came to church today so I can hear this. And listen, if you're in the room today and you're not married, this is great advice for you, okay? This is great advice for you. You want to be married someday, you just need to go to the Bible and be like, what does the Bible have to say about marriage? And take that and run with it, all right? But, but here's the thing. We love, we love what this says about the other person. But we don't like what it says about ourselves. And what would our marriages look like? Because here's what it says in the very beginning. It says, submit to one another. And then it gives us instructions for, okay, this is what it looks like for you, and this is what it looks like for me. And when we're doing that and we're submitting to one another, that's a thriving, healthy marriage. And some of us are, are seeking out thriving, healthy marriages in every other avenue other than God's word. And the structural integrity of your marriage is kept by mutual submission. It's that I don't rule over you and you don't rule over me and we're in this together and we joined together and we became one and we have our separate roles and how we're going to operate in this and how God has gifted you and how God has gifted me and what God has called you to and what God has called me to. But when we are doing that and we are submitted to one another, then that is the picture of a successful, thriving, healthy marriage relationship. And it's a foundational thing. And so many of our marriage relationships are on sand because we won't apply the foundational thing. Because the enemy, listen, the enemy has convinced us not to do that. And he has put it in our mind, I will never do that. I will never do that. I know what that means. I know what that means. What, you only think of it that way because you were taught that at some point or the enemy convinced you in your mind that that's what it meant. Well, I'm just supposed to roll over and lay down and do nothing. That's not what the Bible says. It's a mutual submission. It's a picture of, it's almost like God knew us. It's almost like God knew when he created you what you needed. Did you know, listen, did you know that statistically the number one need of a man is respect? Statistically, out of all the people that were polled, what's, what's your number one need? What is it that you desire most? What is it that you need but respect? You know what the number one, statistically, the number one need of a woman is? Security. I can't think of anything better that makes a woman feel secure than what the Bible says is a sacrificial man who's willing to lay his life down for her as Jesus laid his life down for the church. I mean, that, it's, it's almost like God knew. Isn't that amazing? You know, I love it. I hear people say all the time, it's like, well, now, you know, like, now we're discovering this, and it's almost like, that's been in the Bible for, like, years, <laughs> you know? It has, and I know I'm making light of it, but, but here's the reality. It really is a foundational thing. It's a structural integrity thing that we, we mutually submit to one another. In other words, I put you before me, you put, you put me before you. Like, we're, we're submitted to each other. I'm, I'm all about your needs, and you're all about my needs. And when we're serving one another, we're mutually submitted to one another, that's a healthy, thriving marriage relationship. And so the structural integrity is kept together. It's kept together by mutual submission. Here's point number two. 
the integrity of resources. Integrity of resources. Now, I know it's easy to say when you mention the word resources, everybody immediately thinks money. And money is part of it, but money is not everything that we're talking about. I'm talking about resources. I'm talking about what has God given you? What has God given you? I think I jotted down some here. It could be, could be finances, uh, gifts, talents, time, influence. Some of you, God has given you the ability to make money. Like you have a mind that knows how to structure things and do things and build things in a way that is going to be profitable. And that's a gift from God. Some of you, God has given you influence in, in several people's lives. And it's like everywhere that you go, people want to be around you. And they want to learn from you. And they want to be in your circle. And, they want, and like God has given you influence in people's lives. Some, like God's given every one of us time. Some of us have in, you know, relationships that, that God has given. That, and here's, here's the bottom line. The structural integrity of resources is kept by good stewardship. Good stewardship. Now, I want to talk about this for just a moment, and then, and then we're going to something else. But uh, you may or may not lose what you have because of bad stewardship, but you will never see the complete fulfillment of what God has given you without good stewardship. So whenever, you, whenever you, you, like you're not stewarding things well, you may or may not. This is the reason why you look at some people like, I, like, I'm, like I'm trying, like I'm living for God, and they're not living for God, and how are they so blessed, and how they have so much. It's like some, like so, that's a gift that God has put in them that they're just not right now using for the kingdom. But the reality is, if, if you don't manage well, this is a biblical principle. If you don't manage well, steward well what God has given you, you'll really never be able to see the fulfillment and the completion, really, of what it is that God wants to do through that thing that he's given you. And we're not going to read all these, but you can look at the, the parable of the talents and, you know, like to, if you're faithful with a little, then I'll make you ruler over much. I mean, like this principle is throughout Scripture, and Jesus taught on it a lot. And Jesus would talk about like, hey, Here's, here's, what you, here's what you need to focus on. You know, there's the person, and he even goes as far to say like, hey, I've given this, this much to this person, and this much to this person, and this much to this person, and this person took it, and they buried it in the ground, and they didn't do anything with it. And the master comes back and says, hey, whatever, whatever I gave them, take it from them and give it to the person that's actually going to use and manage what I've given them. Because I'm giving you kingdom resource so that you can build the kingdom. So that you can do something significant while you're on the earth and build the kingdom together. And the word steward in the Bible can also be translated as manage. So in other words, to be a steward means to be a manager. Or to be a good steward means to be a good manager. What would it look like in your life if you began to look at everything that God has given you as something you get to manage? Like all of these, this, this financial blessing, this is something I get to manage. This business that I started that God has given me all these employees, this is something that I get to manage. The people that, 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 that God has given me influence in, like this is something that I need to manage well. I need to manage this well. That's what it means to be a good steward. It's that you're managing. You understand that, man, this is all from God and I'm managing it and I'm going to manage it to the best of my ability. I'm going to seek God's wisdom to know how to manage it to the best of my ability. And so God has given us, you know, influence and money and relationships and time and gifts and all these things to manage. Look at what Luke chapter 12 says, starting in verse 42. The Lord said, Who then is faithful and wise, is the faithful and wise steward of the estate, whom his master will put in charge over his household to give his servants their portion of food at the proper time? And look at verse 43. Blessed, happy, prosperous, and to be admired is that servant whom his master finds so doing when he arrives in other words the one that the master finds that that he says man there's somebody who is managing well who is stewarding well who is doing what i have called them to do with what i have given them look at how look at how the lord himself describes it he says that person is blessed and it tells us what the word blessed means this is the same blessed that would be in blessed or the poor in spirit and you know like all the beatitudes that you would go through and and like it's more you know more blessed to give than to receive and all these things like this is what it means it's happy prosperous and to be admired and he describes this person like when they're when they're managing well and stewarding well this is the person like they're gonna be blessed they're gonna be happy this is gonna be somebody that i can trust this is gonna be somebody that's gonna be admired i believe even by other people and so how are you managing what God has given you? And when we aren't managing God's resources well, we really won't experience everything that God wants us to do. And then here's the second thing about integrity of resources. is that the structural integrity of resources is kept by generosity. It's kept by generosity. Good stewardship and generosity. 
Um, I want to read these verses in just a moment, but I heard somebody describe generosity this way one time. They said that generosity, we think of generosity as a lot of spontaneous, like, well, I'm just generous because every time I feel an emotion or every time I, you know, I cry about something or every time I, I'm passionate about something, I give toward that. And he said that's really not generosity. That's part of generosity, but generosity is actually planned. To be a generous person, you plan to be generous. Because how many of you know if you have not planned to be generous, then when the opportunity comes for you to be generous, you can't be generous because you did not plan and set aside what you need to be generous. So generosity is a planned thing. And we're called to be generous people. Generosity, it's a foundational thing for like the things that God has given you. It's, it's foundational that you, that you be generous. He wants, to, he wants to get things through you. He wants to operate through you. He wants you to be his hands and feet to, to bless other people and to get his blessings to other people and to, to further the kingdom. And I love this. We just quoted it a minute ago, but I want to read it. This is Acts chapter 20, and it actually quotes Jesus at the very end of it. It says, you know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Now, remember what Jesus told you. Remember what Jesus said. This is what he said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And, here, and here's the thing. This is hard for us to do, but we get this. We get this principle that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I'll give you an example. About uh, almost been three years ago now, we were able, we had the opportunity for the first time to take our kids to Disney World. And so we show up at Disney World, and some of you are like, don't ever take me to Disney World. Like, I don't want to be like thousands of people and standing in line. Like, no, not for me. Well, we went, and the kids were excited, you know, and, and, and we're excited about it. And it was our, our Christmas gift to them that year. And so we took, them, we took them to Disney World. And I remember we're walking around. They're getting off of rides, and they're walking in and out of these things. You know, even the, like the big lollipops that they sell there, you know. And like, they're just so excited about this. And I remember thinking this. There is not a whole lot, listen, there is not a whole lot that I'm really getting out of this. This is for them. But here's what I realized in that moment. That every time they would get off of a ride or they would come out of some store or whatever and they would be smiling and they'd be happy and they'd be like, oh, let's go to the next thing. And I realized the principle of it is more blessed to give. Like the person that is a giver. Like that, because here's, here's what you'll see. You'll see what God is doing in other people's lives and that is more satisfying than anything that you could ever receive. Because of what you're doing for somebody else. And that's why Jesus said, blessed, happy, prosperous, to be admired is the person who is a giver. Like, more satisfied is the person who gives than the person who receives. And not that receiving is bad. Listen, some of us need to learn how to receive. And that's a whole other message for another day. Because people are trying to bless you, and you're like, no, you know, I don't need that. And in the back of your mind, you know, it's like that story of the guy who said, you know, there was a flood, and he was on top of his house, and the boat came by. He's like, do you need a ride? No, God's going to save me. And then helicopter comes, do you need a ride? No, God's going to save me. And then he drowns, and he dies, and he goes to heaven. He's like, God, oh, why didn't you save me? He said, I sent a boat and a helicopter. Like, I don't know what else. What else did you need me to do? But Jesus said, he said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Like, more, you'll be more satisfied from the things that you see God doing in other people because of how you've been generous or how you've given or what you've been able to give to other people than you ever will be by what you receive. I love these verses. I know you're familiar with them, but 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul's writing this. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. I love this statement, I heard it just here recently, that we don't, get, we don't give to get, we get so that we can give. We don't, we don't give so that we get something in return. We're getting the things from God that we have so that we can give. And we need to be givers, we need to be generous people. And I love this, I love, I love speaking on, on this stuff, and I was some of, like, it makes you know, some people uncomfortable, but here's, but here's the great news, we're not taking up an offering. 
Like we're talking about resources, and then at the end of the service, you're like, mm-hmm, you know, like when is the, when when is the, when are we going to pass around the bucket or you know the whatever and take them an offering? We're not taking an offering. Listen, in fact, you guys are a very generous church, and you give, and 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 we're doing just fine as a church, and a lot of you give toward the the debt free being able to be debt-free toward this building. And listen, here's what I would say to those of you that don't. It's not pressure you to give, but why are you not getting in on it? Why, are you not, why would you not want to get in on everything that God's doing? This isn't like a, you need to give. No, this is like, we get to give. And look at what God is doing because of our generosity and how we're loving people and serving people and giving things away and talking about planned generosity. Even as a church, we set aside a percentage. Listen, we plan it. And we pray throughout the year, and especially toward the end of the year, God, where do you want us to give this money to? It's like everything that comes in, there's a percentage that we have already pre-decided. It's going away. It is not staying here. It's going to bless other people. It's going to bless other organizations or other churches or other whatever. I mean, like, we've already pre-decided. That's what generosity is. It's pre-deciding so that when the moment comes, it's like, wow, I've already pre-decided, and this is a God moment. I can be generous. I can be generous with my time and resources and finances and all of the above look at this this proverb before we go on to the next point and we we end today proverbs chapter 11 i want to read 24 and 25 it says there is the one who generously scatters abroad and yet increases all the more and there is the one who withholds what is justly due but it results only in want and poverty the generous man is a source of blessing and shall be prosperous and enriched and he who waters will himself be watered, reaping the generosity that he has sown. I love, I just want to touch on verse 24 because there's so much in verse 24. One translation even says it this way, that the world of the generous gets larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller. Um, I love verse 24, and here's the reason why. It almost seems the opposite of what we would think. So it says that there is, there is a person, there is a type of person that is generous. And, and, it says that they, they're scattering things abroad. But then on the flip side of that, it seems like they always increase all the more. And then there's the person who holds on to everything that they have. And they've got it, in like, like, they've got it like this. And then it says, for some reason, that leads to poverty. And it seems opposite because to us it would seem like, you know what I need to do? I need to hold on to what I have because if I don't hold on to what I have, then it's going to go away. But wisdom from the Word of God would say, no, if you try to hold on to everything you have, it's going to go away, but it's not going to do anything that it was intended to do. But there is a person that is generous and, and scatters and, and, and is generous like everywhere that they go. And when I look at that person, it seems like they increase more and more and more and more through generosity this is why this is why generosity living generously is what keeps the structural integrity of our resources we're going to manage things well and we're going to be generous people and here's the last thing the worship team can go ahead and come back Number three is the integrity of work. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about resources. We're talking about work. Um, here's what I believe. And this is, this is just how I felt like the Lord gave it to me, and then I'll, I'll try to qualify this and explain it. The structural integrity of work is kept by perspective. The structural integrity of work is kept by perspective. Um, how many times have we slacked off, given up, walked away, gotten frustrated, or quit, because we lost the right perspective. Just think about it. How many times in your life and things that you've been doing have you slacked off, given up, gotten frustrated, or even quit because you, your perspective changed? Your perspective changed from gratefulness to they don't value me. Your perspective changed from I'm so thankful that God provided to I don't know why I don't have what they have. And because our perspective changed, then we begin to slack off and get frustrated and sometimes even quit things in our lives. I just want to read a few verses um, to encourage you in this area today and hopefully try to bring back the proper perspective 
and then we'll be done. This is Colossians chapter 3. We all know verse 23, or most of us do, but I want to start in verse 22 and read through 24. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that your master and that the master you're serving is Christ. Just a couple of things on this. The first part is where it says slaves obey your masters. You can even translate that into like employers and employee. Boss, manager, supervisor, worker, hand. I mean like whatever term you want to put on it. And, and did you see what it says? It says try to please them. In other words, do your best. Not just when they are watching you. But even when they're not watching you, that this is, this is a biblical principle. And work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord. Can I tell you what the proper perspective is? Verse 24 says that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. Some of us are looking for our reward here on earth. And we may or may not ever receive what we think we should receive here on earth. But the right perspective, the correct perspective, the biblical perspective is that I'm working, I'm working for this person, I'm working at this job, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do here, but ultimately I'm working for the Lord, and my reward comes from Him. And sometimes we've, we've walked away from things, gotten frustrated with things, or even quit things because our perspective shifted. And I think the structural integrity of work in our lives, it's, it's kept by perspective. Look at this. It sounds very similar. This is in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Look at verse 7. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. And Proverbs 16.3 says this, Commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. Commit your actions, commit what you're doing to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. Um, work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord and not just for people. I made this statement, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, that... One of the things as a church that we felt like the Lord called us to was generosity and serving and, and being in the community and doing things for people in the community and organizations in the community. And, and, and our prayer was that if this church ever ceased to exist, that people in the community would say, I want them back. I want them back. I didn't always agree with everything that they believed, but I want them back. Back. I didn't always see eye to eye with everybody that I knew went to church there, but I want them back. Listen, what would it look like in your life? Wouldn't it make sense? Wouldn't it make sense that when you, as a follower of Jesus, carrying the name of Jesus everywhere that you go, declaring that you are a Christian everywhere that you go, when you walk into the workplace on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday or whatever days of the week that you work, wouldn't it make sense that as we carry the name of Jesus, we should do the best that we could possibly do as we carry the name of Jesus? And what would it look like in your life for you to treat the job that God has provided for you or where you are right now, because I believe there's a purpose in it, that you would treat where you are right now and that if you ever walked away, everybody would say, I want them back. I didn't always understand everything that they were talking about, and I know they, were, you know, like they, were, they talked about Jesus a lot, but I want them back back i don't know if i ever saw eye to eye with everything that they did but i want them back i know that they claim to be a christian now that i look back on it now they were like the hardest working person in this wouldn't it be wouldn't it be like a a a vision for us to be the type of people as followers of jesus that everywhere that we work and everywhere that we go that we would do it to the best of our ability because we have the right perspective that i may be working at this job and i may be working for this person and that's important but i'm going to do the best that i can when they're watching and when they're not watching and i know that my Reward ultimately comes from God. See, when you have that perspective, it changes how you see it. What, what causes us a lot of times to get frustrated and discouraged and walk away and quit things is when our perspective shifts. 
when we no longer see it the way that we once saw it. When now we're not seeing it through the eyes of how God has provided this for me and how I am called here and how I am supposed to do my best here, but we are seeing it through the eyes of, I don't know why I don't have what they have. I don't know why I don't get what they get. I don't know why they got the promotion and I didn't get the promotion. Listen, you are not just working for people, you are working for the Lord. And it says, work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. It's perspective. The structural integrity of how you work is kept by a correct perspective in your life, a biblical perspective. And I'll end with this. What is the correct perspective that will keep integrity in this area of your life? As I persevere and work hard in everything I do because all of this is for Jesus. I persevere and I work hard in everything that I do because every bit of this is for Jesus. Will you stand to your feet today? Just right where you are, I just want to ask you, this is one of those messages where I feel like it's extremely important for us to just take a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? Because some of us, some of us, we may find ourselves needing to assess or do some upkeep or whatever it is in every area maybe one of these stood out to you and you're like man i have neglected that area of my life and i need to get back to to it's not that the initial design is flawed but that i have stopped keeping up with it i have stopped maintaining it i have stopped assessing it and figuring out where i've gotten off and so right there with your heads bowed and eyes closed just ask the lord just ask him say lord what are you speaking to me right now through this message what are you speaking to me right now through this message I want to bring the prayer team down we always love to have an opportunity for anybody who needs prayer to receive prayer and we're going to do that here in just a moment when the worship team sings this last song but I want to pray over you and just believe that even as you go through your week that the Holy Spirit is going to continue to speak to you and work in your heart and work in your life and reveal things to you. You know, we've, we've said it before, but, you know, I feel like moments like these are really like what David said, moments where it's like, search me, oh God, and know me. Know my anxious thoughts. Know my intentions. Know everything about me. Like, point out anything right now that you're saying, you know what, you need to just make a shift in this area. You need to turn back to me in this area of your life. And Lord, right now, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice, even those watching online. And Lord, we thank you that you are speaking to us, even individually right now, God, that you are doing what only you can do. And Lord, I pray as we sing this last song, if there's anybody here in this room that needs prayer for anything in their life, Holy Spirit, would you draw them for prayer in Jesus' name, amen.